this is Grady Summers, and this is the FireEye Ion Security Podcast. Uh, today, we're joined by Pete Smith. Pete is a network practice lead for FAS, that's FireEye as a Service. Uh, our organization is responsible for monitoring and protecting our customer networks. In his role as network practice lead, Pete's responsible for designing those network services that our analysts actually use every day to defend our customers. So, Pete, welcome to the podcast, and thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, Grady. Thanks for having me. So if we could just start at a high level, how did you initially get interested in cybersecurity? Like, what, what were your first roles in this space? Sure. Well, my first role, interestingly, was at Mandiant here. Um, I got interested in it back in the day. I was doing com- not really network security, but more computer networking. So I got a background with the Cisco stuff and doing LAN parties in eighth grade and setting up networks all over the place, looking at packets sort of from a... Uh, a network administrator perspective more than a security administrator. And then every now and then I'd find some malicious packets or things that didn't look quite normal, and I'd wonder what those were. So I'd dig into them a little bit, and I found this whole world of network security that existed where attackers were apparently uh, sending uh, traffic out to malicious command and control servers, and that was a thing. And so once I found out about that, I was like, this is kind of cool. I wonder if I can catch these guys. And then I guess, you know, I, I realized that APT was becoming this big problem. I was reading about it everywhere. And so I found Mandy, and, and that's kind of where I got into the game. Interesting. And so did you join right away at the time? Of course, at Mandy, we called it Managed Defense. Was your first role in working on, on the network sensor? Absolutely, yeah. Back, the, back in then, I think there was maybe seven, ten people in Managed Defense then. And uh, we had one or two network analysts. Um, one of them you spoke with earlier, I think, Nicole Oppenheim, and she was sort of my mentor there. And from the get-go, it was all network analysis all day because no one else in the org really had the network analysis chops there. I think there were three of us doing a network analysis and you know, 30 or 40 doing endpoint. Yeah. So it was a niche role I was trying to fill for sure. Yeah. Now, I heard someone describe you as the godfather of the, the network sensor, <laughs> <laughs> referring to the, the FireEye, the, the, what used to be our managed defense network sensor we called NTAP. Can you talk like a little bit just about that tech? Like, what was it, and at a high level, and kind of how did it evolve to to what we do today? Oh wow, it has evolved a lot. And Godfather, <laughs> I kind of like that. So uh, yeah. I'll take that if we're calling Nicole the Godmother because it was yeah. her and I sort of driving that thing. Yeah, that was a uh, <laughs> that was a really really cheap FreeBSD CentOS box that we slapped Snort on and a couple of uh, Perl scripts to make it do what we wanted to do. So that thing would. Um, most importantly, run a signature set that we had created, and that signature set was one Nicole and I had worked on for a, a long time, talking about maybe 3,000 signatures of uh, you know entirely custom built, and I was looking for the APT there. But on top of that, we had a capture capability. We were getting full PCAP on it. Eventually, we tacked on NetFlow and some other investigative capabilities. We had this cool thing called Time Machine that rewound the uh, stream before an alert occurred and did some stuff like that. And then it was, uh, what is it, 2014, I guess, in May, we started looking around for a replacement for this thing, and we found uh, the PX there, and we've been using that ever since, which has been our, our network sensor workhorse for a couple of years. That's cool. So we were able to merge it into, PX, of course, is our FireEye packet capture tech that was acquired from Impulse uh, about a year and a half ago. So now we're, that's the platform that we use for our, our network sensor. Yeah, and we've still got thousands of these network sensors, the old ones deployed in the yep. field, and they're humming along, just great machines. But where we have PX, uh, it's really upped our game and our ability to defend customer networks. So we're pretty excited about it. I think it's cool. One thing I, I kind of infer from what you're saying is today we have this really cool high-speed packet capture tech. But we started out with something that was really a lot of uh, kind of open-source tech, 
it's really, I mean, it's about the content, right? It was about like, the visibility that you and Nicole and the team had, what you guys had seen, the content you were able to put on the box. It really strikes me that early on, it wasn't about the tech. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, everyone had a snort box. It was easy to do that. And the open rule sets out there, there were thousands of rules you could push on that thing, generating noise and false positive. But they weren't finding anything or they weren't finding the kinds of things that I think we were finding here. And the reason is back then, you know, Mandy and the consulting organization was responding to every one of the big breaches that we saw. And Nicole and I were some of the first analysts to be on the front line defending the networks in those breaches. So we saw all the, the attacks and we helped write the APT1 report back then. Yeah. And all the intelligence that we gathered from our consultants and our network analysis, you know, powered this open source box that we had in the network sensor and the intelligence it used to find, find bad guys. So definitely, uh, you know, an open source thing, but powered by the intel that I think only we had. Yeah, that's really neat. So what's, you know, so what's something interesting you've seen lately? We're always interested to talk about uh, kind of the unique things we see in the field. You see anything cool? I see a lot of cool things. The attackers are getting clever. <laughs> you know, like once yeah. we started shining a spotlight on these guys, uh, it, it sort of changed the game and it happened with the APT1 report and thereafter. But they're getting really crafty with the way they do business. And I'm talking specifically about the use of legitimate Microsoft tools like PowerShell. Mm. I'm talking about like their ability to reach out to GitHub and pull down a configuration file, uh, the MSN, the TechNet stuff, mm -hmm. um, Twitter, re you know, reading uh, tweets off of that and understanding their command and control somehow. And their general adoption towards encryption has you know, led to some defensive problems, I think, uh, for defenders to, to see what's going on in networks. So uh, those are sort of the general observations I make about the interesting things they're doing. Um, and I think like we'll talk about encryption probably a little bit later because that's one of yeah. the biggest ones. Okay, good. Um, so in terms of your role, what, what is a typical day in the life of your role? I mean, are you, you actively out there hunting on networks or are you overseeing the team? What, what does a day look like for Pete Smith? Sure. Yeah, I started in the SOC, right? So, well, I can't even call it a SOC. It was a cube back then of two people. Uh -huh. um, now our SOCs, we got, what, 70, 80 analysts in four countries or something like that. It's pretty great. But I, I work with those guys a lot. And mostly I try to facilitate them finding bad guys. So whether that's training and imparting what I know about the attackers or designing tools for them to be able to do their jobs faster, uh, or actually looking for the bad guys myself, you know, I do some of that as well. So more of a, facil a facilitator now, I'd say, but uh, definitely yeah. still have my head in the game. That's cool. So even though the team's growing, you still get to, to have your hands on it. It's a, it's a blend. <laughs> I have to, yeah. If I get stale, you know, with that knowledge, I become useless in my role. So got to stay sharp a little bit. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about it? Well, honestly, it's the people. It's it's. I guess there's two things. The people is number one for sure, but the mission that we're trying to accomplish with these people uh, is is right up there. It's paramount. So I think like mm -hmm. I work with some of the smartest people I've ever met, uh, without a doubt. And uh, in defensive customer networks, it's like you you need those people. And so we're doing all that, and the mission that we're trying to accomplish together. Um, requires a certain amount of people and a certain caliber of people, and I think we have them, and, and that's why we've been so successful, I think. So the combination of people and mission is, is really what keeps me going, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's, uh, we hear that often, and I think one thing we're fortunate here is we have a kind of a virtuous cycle in that um, we've got really top-notch folks. We tend to get calls for the big breaches, and we're asked to monitor some of the biggest networks, which is what, you know, if you're at the top of your game, that's what you want to do. You want to work where that, that kind of action is, and so um, makes it exciting for people and also lets us kind of deliver the best to our customers. It's oh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, our guys come in here hungry. You know, we don't get the candidates that have never heard of FireEye or Mandiant. They, they've read yeah. all the papers and they want to get in the game. And uh, I think they think this is the best place to do it. And I think so too. Yeah, great. Uh, so what do you, when you look out kind of at what you see across the landscape, I'm curious if you see any technologies coming out that you think could really disrupt security. And I would say either from like an adversary perspective, like some really different things that they're doing that change the game um, or, or on the uh, defender perspective. Sure. Yeah. Spoilers. I think the attackers are 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 using already the encryption that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and I think it's already sort of defeated some of the the defenses we've stood up. I'll give you an example. We um I guess in 2011 or 2010 we started pushing these signatures for SMB lateral activity, and everyone's talking about lateral movement or I guess if you want to use the industry term east-west traffic or whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, and now you know some of that some of that traffic that we used to sniff on is encrypted now on later versions of Windows. Um, Attackers know that their plain text protocols are easily detectable, and, and so they're using encryption now or binary protocols that are more difficult to detect. So in general, you know, having an understanding of what or where the encryption is, I think, is, is getting pretty key because it, uh, it really uh, hampers our game a little bit. What, what, do we, I mean, what do we do about that ultimately? Is it a matter of, I mean, can we hunt for the use of encryption based on the certificates they're using? Are there patterns in their communications that we use? Like, what's our counter to that? Yeah, so we've had signatures for sort of certificate metadata for a while. Like, I can tell you the OU of a bad certificate or the common name in a certificate. But like I said earlier, the attackers are getting uh, pretty cr crafty and they're using legitimate services like uh, just SSL encrypted sites, even like Gmail and stuff like that. Yeah. So how do you find an encrypted session going to Gmail that's malicious? That's <laughs> sort of like if you can solve that, you're probably going to make a lot of money. But some yeah. ways that we're addressing that anyway are obviously, you know, we have the SSL man in the middle appliance. Now we can insert that places and try to get some visibility into the encrypted streams. I think honestly in this <laughs> this is interesting coming from a network guy, but I think that the solution to this problem may exist on the endpoint. And, and I uh, think yeah. that technology that gets us on an endpoint where we can see the traffic before it's encrypted um, is going to be uh, one of the most important things to get to so we can apply some detection there. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, given everything that you see, if you were to boil it down to like uh, one or two pieces of advice for either CISO or uh, someone who's responsible for defending a network, what would you tell them to do? <laughs> That's such a tricky question. Yeah. Um, one or two pieces of advice. Well, how about a shotgun blast of one or two shells? There you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so you got time to do a dozen, we'll take it. Sure. Yeah, just so let's see here. I think, um, I think that the biggest thing a CISO needs to be aware of is um, uh, knowing and understanding your defensive capabilities and, and more importantly, what you're defending. Uh, I think you want to know what the attackers want in your environment, and I think you want to design a defense around that. Um, I think you have to really figure out where you're weak and where you're strong. So like if you're good with intelligence but bad at response or you have great visibility but bad patch management or vulnerability management, you need to find that gap and, and sort of attack them because we always talk about this layered defense approach and every one of those layers needs to be strong because you know they, they, they have to work together to keep the attackers out. Um, so I see a lot of organizations trending towards sort of internalizing their security teams. And I think that's good for some organizations, but I say know where you're weak and where you're strong because not every organization is there. Not every organization is ready to take that leap in running their own Intel shop and running their own response and SOC and vulnerability and patch management. It's really, really hard to do that. You know, we've been doing that at scale for 
years and we still haven't got it down and we have hundreds of customers. So it's yeah. tricky and you really got to know your, your environment to, uh, to, to make the best decision there. Um, how about some practical advice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about, you know, understand or I guess find out how and where encryption would help you or where it hurts you uh, and specifically mm -hmm. where it hurts or helps your defensive posture. So, you know, if, if you have, if everywhere is going to the cloud somewhere and that's encrypted along the way, figure out how you can get some visibility into that traffic yeah. because you got to defend yourself against what's going on in it or, or at least be aware of it. Um, so understand your security posture in terms of encryption and sort of figure out where it makes sense to relax it or enforce it or at least get some insight into it. Okay. So are you implying that, there, that there's over-encryption at times? I mean, is there... Or I guess we're moving to a point where everything will be encrypted at a certain point. So you're just saying you got to have the visibility in the middle there. Yeah, and I think I think we might be over encrypting some stuff. I, I don't know. I think there's I think there's places where it makes sense. I think like if you have a PCI or a highly sensitive like healthcare stuff, you you don't you want that encryption in places. But for example, at a small firm that. Uh, you know, trades with mostly private intellectual property, um, mm -hmm. encrypting SMB streams. You know, someone tried to convince me why that's valuable because huh. yeah. who's sniffing SMB traffic for really anything except for defenders? Um, and so when, when you shut down that visibility for us, you know, we lose lateral movement insight, file transfers, credential dumping, all kinds of stuff that we really miss and want to have. So if you've got like Windows 8 or Windows 10, um, you know, consider whether or not that host-to-host -host encryption, for example, is worth it. Consider whether or not your proxies and your SSL-enabled uh, HTTP proxies are worth it. Uh, and when I'm sure they are in most cases, but where it doesn't make sense to do that, at least try to tap into it, get some man in the middling in there, and at least see that traffic. Well, that's a great point, too. Almost to your earlier point about just knowing what you're defending, knowing where you're weak and strong. I think it's, it's just a knowledge-based, it's a risk-based decision. It's, Hey, encrypting everything um, worth the cost in terms of the trade-off that I get in visibility. And like, I, I think what you're saying is that we sometimes knee-jerk to, hey, let's encrypt it all, but we really need to do, make more of that risk-based decision, I think. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think it's totally risk-based. And I think like part of our sort of onboarding process in FAS has us asking you those questions as a customer. It's about, okay. you know, can you afford to relax a, a, a security thing here, which feels weird because you never want to tell a customer to you know, it, it, to be less safe, which is what people think of when they think of less encryption. Yeah, yeah. If it enables our visibility, then you're probably safer overall. So we yeah, have those sort of conversations and try to determine that trade-off. Great. Well, Pete, thanks for everything you do for us at FireEye and, and to keep our customers safe. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Great talking with you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Grady. Appreciate it.